Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is a great big history podcast. We continue our History 101 series with the Roman Republic, Part 2, The Center Cannot Hold. When we left off, the Republic was coming apart. Not because of defeat, not because of great civil unrest, but economics and inequality. The group of people who had depended on each other, who had worked together, who had won the world, were seeing success send them in lots of different directions. Just like, you know, a rock band. When they were poor and struggling to get famous, they were all in it together. They were a band of brothers. They were uh, homegirls. And then they made it. And they bought million-dollar yachts that they put in Hawaii. And they married Italian uh, models and moved to Milan. And all kinds of things happened. And they broke apart. And they stopped. They became Bon Jovi. Right? They, went, they became Guns N' Roses. They, be, they became many of these bands that just faded away, broke apart. So the, in this episode, we're going to talk about the collapse of the Roman Republic. This is a very process-orientated class lecture where it's a lot of this happens and this happens and this happens. It's a lot of falling dominoes. So when we left off, we were talking about the K-shaped break between the more educated and more moneyed plebeians and their poor farmer cousins how they were separating themselves out from each other and how the rich had left them all behind well didn't anyone see a need for reform didn't anyone was there a bernie sanders being like this is this is a disaster this is going to fall apart was there any cassandras out there yelling about the disasters that were going to happen and the answer was yes, yes, yes. And the most famous of those guys are the Gracchi, Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus, around 125 BC. The brothers, the brothers Gracchi. And they are what's called a populare, where we get the word populist from. They are young, super rich, liberal reformers. Okay? So they are part of the Senate class, they are not outsiders. But they're liberal. They want to change. They see this problem and they see change. They need change. They're also young. Remember, the Senate is run by old people. So a way to political power here, for they don't want to wait. They're young. They want to make a statement now. They want to be in charge now. Get out the way. Move, guys, get out the way, get out the way, guys, move, right? Young, super rich liberal reformers. And so there's a way to do it. And the way you do it is basically you get the tribunes all on your side. You get the tribunes elected who want to, who want to, to get, who, remember, the tribunes represent the people. So you got to get the people to elect tribunes who will support your stuff. 
be above the Senate people. You're basically doing an end around. You're going around normal way of the old people working out a consensus in order to impose yourself through the will of the people. Because remember, the Senate is supposed to represent what the people of Rome want. It doesn't, and it never really did. It represented what the rich wanted. But in the older days, when they were at war with everybody, what the rich and the poor wanted slash needed was much more aligned. Now there's peace. Now there's conquest. Now there's an endless supply of money and slaves flowing into the super rich coffers. So the Gaius brothers get elected by promising poor things to the poor. Promising poor things poor like? Oh, promising the poor things the poor like. That's how it's that's how it's supposed to be said. They get elected by promising the poor, comma, things the poor like. And that's populism. And it's weird that it's a dirty word. It tells you how much of a republic we are and not a democracy. And even how much democracy was a dirty word. The idea that you would get elected by promising people what they want. And that's populism. And that's bad. Is weird. Like, I know it's not that simple. And we could get into the Foucaultian argument about what populism really means. But it's being popular. It's it's getting people to elect you by promising stuff they want. So that's weird. Every politician should be a populist. Everyone should want to be. And so their idea is to break up plantations, go back to the small farms, have more voting rights, and have more quote-unquote democracy. Not real democracy, but having the tribunes have more power. Having the Senate full of rich old guys have less influence. Have basically voter reforms. Have government reforms. To allow the people, quote unquote, who they represent, have more of a say. The idea is basically to make Rome great again. But what they're really talking about, and when they say make Rome great again, is to go back to Cincinnatus around 450 BCE. Cincinnatus is this working farmer who is then brought in by the Senate to lead the people to save Rome from a Gallic invasion, who then, having won a huge triumph, having built an army that could defeat the Gauls, marches his army back to Rome and then famously gives up his sword to the Senate and goes back to being a farmer. Early American, early, uh, early American uh, artists loved this as George Washington. George Washington, there is, if you go to the Smithsonian and the Library of Congress, there are two giant statues of him as Cincinnatus. When Romans talked about make, make Rome great again, they are talking about Cincinnatus. They're talking about this time when leaders were leaders, when men were men, and they didn't want power. When Romans were Romans, life was simple, and leaders gave up power. The populari, the, the Gracchus scare the conservative elites. Of course they do. The conservative elites like their wealth. They like their slaves. They like their position. They like their Greek education. They like their decadence. 
Rome was poor. Remember, Rome was dumb and it was weak. And now Rome is rich and it is strong. And they are the successors to that. It has fallen into their laps. They can drink Greek wine, eat Asian Asia Minor olives. They can have Spanish oranges. Their ancestors couldn't do that. Cincinnatus couldn't do that. And they get the attitude which we will see in 102 especially, but it's a very Protestant work ethic attitude. But it's, 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 an, it's a conservative attitude, which is poor people should just shut up about it. Just be rich. I got rich. You be rich. Now, we can talk about that they started rich and they got super rich, but that's neither here nor there. Their idea is I fought, I served, I did what I was supposed to do. Hey, it worked out. Stop complaining. Get good. If you're an MMO fan, you've, you've been on forums like World of Warcraft forums or Final Fantasy forums. You've seen these guys. Get good. Stop being bad at life, loser. You know, just stop being poor. You hear this all the time today. And it's always from conservatives. And liberals will talk about systems. Because in, in modern America, in, modern, in the modern Western world, conservatism blames the person you are you have opportunity you should go to school you should work hard you are lazy why aren't you you are on your phone all the time you should be making money whereas liberals blame systems this is your critical race theory this is your housing um there's not enough houses that were built there's not enough well the work is all in cities and not in the countryside there is that that, um, you know, there's racism in housing and in jobs and in all kinds of other places that the systems need to be reformed. One is individual responsibility. That's conservative and always has been. That's not I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. I'm just saying it is. And liberal is always change. It's, it's systems. The Gracchi are Look at what they want to do. Break up the plantations. Go back to small farms. Have more voting rights. They want to change Rome from a super rich empire to the small Rome of their ancestors. And the conservative elite don't want to change. They're like, there's money for people. There's opportunity. Just stop being lazy. Stop being on welfare. Get good. And so what does the Senate do? They murder their Gracchi. Why? Because they don't want to vote against it. Because it would be embarrassing. Because the people will be angry at The people want land reform. You can't vote against land reform. They will kill you. That's the way it works. So the elites don't want reform. And conservatives won't reform Rome. Which is a problem. Because conservatives are the only people who could reform Rome. Rome was a conservative country. It was a conservative culture because it had been at war for so long. So the only ones who could, just like Nixon could be the only one who goes to China, conservatives were the only ones who could reform Rome, and they're saying, no, we won't, which means inequality will get worse. The rich will get richer, the poor will get poorer, and the middle class will continue to splinter and fray. Those who, are, those who get better jobs, those who have better education, those who keep spending, those who could keep up with the Joneses, their families will benefit. While those whose husband dies 
of cancer at 30 or who a flood wipes out their farm or all kinds of like random things happen or are themselves just poor. Remember, they're destitute. Their father died in the their father or grandfather died in the Punic Wars. They just don't have the money to get started. They don't have the investment capital. They don't have the startup capital. They don't have the credit from the banks. And the banks don't give out money. They're, they're not really banks. They're more lend money lenders slash loan sharks. Now, for rich people, they're banks, quote unquote. That's investment. And they can make money moving money around, right? But for poor people, they don't have access to that. So think of banks in the Roman world more like hedge funds. So there is no constitutional mechanism for fixing the social and economic problems of the empire. If conservatives won't reform the empire, the Senate is going to murder their reformers. Then there's 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 nothing there for reform. The machine, the, the gears just 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 grind to a halt. So the republic becomes less Republican Democratic. It becomes less representative. The elites simply don't care about public opinion anymore. They'll buy it off. Danger, 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 Rome. It means the Constitution is breaking. And you better do something to save it or the republic is in trouble. So here's our situation. The plebeians want to return to the good old days and they have grievances. And they have righteous grievances. They're not wrong. They don't have dignitas. They are being treated bad by the, by the elites. And they have military experience. Remember, by the end of the Punic Wars, essentially every Roman farmer had some military experience at some point. By 125 BCE, you're talking a vast majority of Roman men have some form of military experience, which makes them dangerous if they're angry. Two, the old patricians, the elites, want things to stay the same. They won't change. They're old. And they already have ectoritas. People listen to them. They get to sit around, drink bourbon, smoke cigars, and talk about the good old days, about when they, how they defeated Hannibal. Ha 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 ha. Oh, we conquered the Greeks. Ha 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 ha. And oh, we made so much men. And I got so many slave girls out of it. Ha 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 ha. Oh, kids today suck. Oh, those kids today, huh, they can't do anything right. They're so lazy. Listen to how boomers talk about you guys. And you want to know how I know boomers talk about you in such crappy ways? Because I'm an Xer, and they've been talking about me that way since 1970-something. Remember, my generation was the lazy generation. We were the slacker generation. We were never going to amount to anything. Why? Boomers never got out of the way. They took all the jobs. They took all the money. They bought all the houses. And then they went, oh, you people are uh, not buying your own houses anymore. Uh, well, when I was 23, I had a job that paid me $82,000. I had a wife, and uh, I lived in the suburbs, and um, I was getting a 6% raise every year. Ha <laughs> Meanwhile, the young hotshot patricians. So the old patricians are, are, are fine. They're, they're basking in their glory. There are young hotshot patricians like the Gracchi were before they got murdered 
who need to make a name for themselves to get a Tortas. And the fastest way to get a Tortas is Gloria. And you know you can't do it politically, right? The Gracchi have been murdered, so no young hotshot who wants to make a name for himself is going to do it politically. They're going to have to go through war. That's Gloria. Victory in war. You want a triumph. You want the city to come out for you. That's what Cincinnatus did. That's Scipio's motto. You win a giant war against a big enemy. Now, there's a problem because there's less and less and less big enemies out there. There's still Gaul, but that's far away. You have to invade Gaul. There's a couple of Greek places. There's, there's parts of farther Spain. There's Portugal. There's parts of North Africa. Like, there are places, but there's no Hannibals out there. So what these young hotshots need to do is find a war that they could win without asking the old patricians permission in the Senate. So it can't be an expensive war. It has to be something they could privately finance. So they, so these young hotshots, remember they're super rich, they hire a private army. There are all these ex-soldiers hanging around who need dignitas, who live in a crappy apartment whose wife doesn't respect him and is having an affair with a baker, whose kids think they are losers, and they're like, I want to examine. They're like, yeah, dad, great, tell me. They are Al Bundy. It is, Al Bundy is the perfect Roman plebeian in 125 BCE. He talks about high school and his glory days and how in one game he scored four touchdowns and they carried him off on their shoulders, and that is, and now... His wife doesn't really like him all that much. His kids don't respect him. He works in a shoe shop. He's not, he has no dignity. He has no respect. He doesn't respect himself. Al Bundy is our example of the Roman plebeian, the angry Roman plebeian in 125 BCE. And the guy who came along and said, I am going to make you great again, got murdered. So another guy comes along and says, I'm going to hire you. You have military experience. You were awesome. I saw what you did in high school, and I want more of that. And I'm going to pay you $50,000 a year, and I'm going to make you an officer, and I'm going to put eagles on your shoulders, and I'm going to give you respect. And here's a down payment so you can move out of your crappy apartment, and your kids are going to respect you, and your wife is going to love you again, and she's going to stop hanging out with that baker because your job is awesome, and his job is like ordinary. But, 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 I want your loyalty. If the poop hits the fan in Rome, I have to know you have my back. And what does that guy say? You got it. As he puts on his officer's uniform, as he combs his hair back for the first time in years, as he puts on his sword, he gets his old sword and he oils it up. As he stands there in the mirror that he had looted from from Carthage. The polished mirror and his kids come up and they see him. And they go, oh, dad, you're awesome. You're like Patroclus in Homer. And he turns and goes, damn straight I am. And he then walks into the bake shop and he takes his wife and he kisses her and says, you don't have to work here anymore and be harassed by this guy. 
because I am awesome. And she's like, you are awesome. And they're going to get a new house in a better neighborhood. And they're going to have a slave or two. Which is a sign of like you've made it. In a slave society, owning slaves means you've made it. You don't have to like it. It's the way it's the way it is. And so, but what has he transferred? He has transferred his loyalty, his sword, from the Senate to a person. And that guy, that young hotshot patrician, is going to start a private war. He's going to go to Portugal. He's going to go to Thrace. He might go to Morocco. Win a battle against some king, and he's looking for Octoritas in exchange for the loot given to Rome. He'll come back. And he'll go to the go to the Senate and says, I have brought you a hundred million dollars. Praise my glories. Go ahead. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Let me hear. Give me a standing ovation. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for respect of their peers, of those old patricians, for having made it by launching these private wars. And the old patricians are cool because they get a piece of it. They get a 1%, 2% of that money. Rome gets the money, and they're going to siphon it off with their companies and whatnot. So they get richer, and it didn't cost them anything. The young hotshot gets Ectoritas because he wins the war, and the, and the soldier who comes back gets dignity. But notice all of their loyalties are all over the place. They're not to Rome. So the advantage, the young hotshots compete to get Ectoritas. They're all out there. They're all fighting, and they're coming back, and Rome is getting rich. Rome conquers all of the Mediterranean except for one place, Ptolemaic Egypt. Why? Ptolemaic Egypt is too rich. No young hotshot is allowed. It's like, oh, I'm going to go fight in Thrace. Yeah, you go ahead. I'm going to go conquer Egypt. No, you're not. Uh-uh. Nuh-uh. No. And the Ptolemaic Egypt is like, we'll ship you a lot of food for free? Just let us be independent. Like, this is going to, Ptolemaic Egypt will will be the Egypt of Cleopatra. Cleopatra's not yet queen. But the idea is, it's too rich. It's too much. No one young hotshot's going to be allowed to conquer it. So Roman plebeians get dignitas. They get some money. Right? They get to move up in stations. They're no longer the poor of the poor. They get a position. They get respect of their peers. Right, They get to win again. Oh, the glory of getting to win again. Right, This is what Donald Trump promised when he was running for president. You're going to have so much winning. Now, you can laugh or you can not, but that was the promise. And people liked that idea. I want to win again. You're going to have so much winning. Well, these are what Roman plebeians were getting out of these young hotshots in exchange for loyalty to the young hotshot, not to Rome. What is the different disadvantage? Loyalty. It's the, 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 no one cares about Rome anymore. Young patricians don't need the Senate or the Constitution to get rich or to get a tortoise the way they used to. Remember, Cincinnatus. Cincinnatus was just a well-to-do farmer. Right? He wasn't poor, but he he was just a well-to-do, respected man of the people. Right? How people want to portray George Washington, but remember, George Washington was elite of an elite. 
So let's not go there. But he's a well-to-do, respected local former plantation owner, right? He's, he has workers. He's not poor by any stretch of the means. But the Senate came to him and said, can you help us out? And he said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do it for you. I will do it for Rome. I'll do it for the Roman people. Come on, people, let's go. And he could get people to follow him. And he builds an army and he puts it together and he, and he makes it a sharp edge, excellent professional force. And he goes off and he beats the Gauls. The Senate and the Constitution made Cincinnatus Cincinnatus. He didn't impose himself on it. The disadvantage of this new system is the young hotshots are coming in saying, give me what I want. Give me my money. Give me my actor. I have money. Give me my actor toss. They're not, the, they are not serving the Constitution. They're not serving the Senate. They want the Senate to serve them. The plebeians can't rely on the Senate for protection, help, nor dignitas. Right? This is what the Gracchi were promising. They were promising, we will help you, we will protect you, we will use the Senate, and we will reform the Senate to help you. They're dead. That ain't working. So the only people who will help the plebeians are these young hotshots. So it, the disadvantage of this new system where the Republic is falling apart is, why does the Senate exist? except to protect the wealth and power of old, rich men. What's the purpose of it if everyone is working outside of the constitutional system? So the question becomes, what if the Senate and the young hotshot disagree? Or two young hotshots come back to Rome at the same time, wanting their glory simultaneously? The big question becomes, as the system is falling apart, is Rome big enough for two number ones? The answer is no, it's not. Not without reform, Rome breaks into civil war. And they get a hundred years of civil war. Three generations of fighting. Private armies, private Roman armies murdering each other. And or the Senate's quote-unquote armies. Because the Senate will put an army together and then they will fight and they will either win or get murdered and usually it gets murdered. Caesar will crush it. Octavian, well, Octavians will have a Senate army. will have a Senatorius army. But it's really his army. It's not the Senate's army. He just gets the approval of the Senate to fight Antony. So our first is Marius versus Sulla. And they had a, they had a, uh, Sulla was a, Marius was the old guy, Sulla is the young guy, the young hotshot. Sulla is not one of these rich guys. He's actually starts as an officer for Marius. Uh, Marius, it gets famous with his victories. Um, they have a falling out. Marius becomes a creature of the Senate. The Senate uses Marius. Marius actually kind of has a, Gets pissed off at the Senate. It's a whole thing. But in the end, it's Marius versus Sulla. It's the old rich guy versus the young hotshot. And Sulla wins. And Sulla does something nobody expected. No one had done up to this point. He uses terror against the elites. He's like, you effers were against me. And he sets his soldiers on the elites. They posted uh, confiscation 
who was a traitor to Sulla, who was a traitor to quote unquote Rome, which meant a traitor to Sulla. And that guy could flee, but more likely get murdered and his farm would be confiscated. His businesses would be confiscated. And then Sulla would take that money and pay his troops with it. He'd keep a percentage, but he would pay his troops with it. So the old standards are no longer a protection. But Sulla was not a revolutionary. He's not quite the French Revolution. The plebeians start with the, the interesting thing is the plebeians are perfectly fine eating the rich. They are like, oh, we get to murder rich people and take their money? Yeah, okay. Can we do it to everybody? And Sulla's like, no. Sulla wanted to be part, he wanted to be respected by the elites. He still wanted a Toritas. He just forced the elites to do it out of terror. He used terror to, to win the day. He used the violence. But this means the old standards are no longer protection. That violence carries the day. But the Senate keeps working. He Sulla is not a revolutionary. The revolution will come, though. We've seen it start. And the plebeians... The plebeians have an appetite for it. That's the important part. The plebeians are perfectly fine eating the rich, murdering, taking out a couple of rich guys, murdering them and taking their, their wealth. So Sulla will die. Years will pass. And then we get Caesar versus Pompey. Pompey is the older gentleman. Caesar's the young hotshot. Pompey is the creature of the Senate as an old rich guy. Caesar is a young hotshot with a famous name. He, you know, his 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 part of the Giuliani crowd. Uh, he goes off to go conquer Gaul, right? Pompey's the old great general. He Pompey will conquer the Levant, uh, Jerusalem, bring those parts into the the uh, empire. Caesar's the young hotshot off conquering the woods of Gaul. There's nothing up there. This is just forest and Gauls. But the, remember, the Gauls are the great enemy. So Caesar's considered brave for doing this. Um, they have a falling out. The Senate is basically going to arrest Caesar on corruption charges. They, they you know, make some up some charges to get rid of Caesar. Caesar knows that if he goes back to Rome, he'll be arrested and put on trial. So what he does is he marches his army from Gaul back to Rome. That's the crossing the Rubicon. You cross the Rubicon, the Rubicon was the, was the difference, was the border. It's, a, it's not a, an impressive river, but it was the border between Cisalpine Gaul, where armies are allowed to do what they want to do, and Italy, where no armies were allowed. You were not allowed to bring an army back to Italy. Caesar did. He meets uh, Pompey on the field. Pompey runs away to Greece. He takes over Rome. Um, everyone's worried he's going to do a Sulla and murder lots of people. Caesar says he won't. Um, he's like, I'm one of you guys. Why would I murder all you people? You guys just can't, like, F around with me. But a lot of the old conservatives, Cato, Cicero, leave, flee with Pompey. Caesar goes to Greece. They have a battle at Pharsalus. Caesar wins, crushing victory. Pompey flees to Ptolemaic Egypt. He has the 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 Ptolemy, whatever it is, the thirteenth, 
is is a child, but the the elites were friends to Pompey. Pompey had ended up in Egypt once he had conquered Jerusalem. He crossed the Sinai. He ended up as a kind of tourist with his army, but it was like a hey, we're allies kind of thing. So he thinks I'll go back to Egypt and Egypt will have the money and I could put an army back together. He gets murdered by um he gets murdered by the Egyptians uh cuz they see the writing on the wall. They know Caesar's going to win. Caesar's won. Pompey's this old guy with no army. Why are we going to fight Caesar? That's crazy. Um Caesar shows up looking for Pompey. They give they give Caesar Pompey's head. Caesar freaks out. He's like, you can't kill Pompey. Only I can kill Pompey. And that's when a beautiful, well, she's actually not so beautiful, but a super hot, if not beautiful, uh, princess named Cleopatra, who has been fighting a war against her brother, her younger brother, shows up in a rug for Caesar and is like, hey, big boy, how about you help me take over Egypt? And he's like, yeah. And they hook up, and she has a son, which means Caesar, one, is perfectly fine killing Ptolemy the 13th, the kid, the 12-year-old kid. He gets killed. Boom. Get rid of him. Because his son, because now Cleopatra will be queen, his son will be prince and heir, and for and you go, that's great. And for Cleopatra, it's even better. She gets to be queen, and the Romans can't invade. As long as Caesar's alive, the Romans can't invade Egypt. So she is using everything, her body, her marriage, her, her sexuality, her knowledge, her, her genes, to keep her country safe from Roman conquest. The Romans can conquer Egypt easy. So she's giving the Romans, she's giving Caesar a reason not to. Caesar goes home. He stays like nine months a year. He goes home. He goes back to, to Rome. It's like, yes, this is great. I'm doing great. And on March 15th, he's murdered by the Senate conservatives, led by his, you know, steps, quote unquote, stepson, you know, Brutus, Marcus Brutus, he's murdered. This immediately starts a new round of civil wars as Octavian and Mark Anthony go after the Senate conservatives and then after each other. Brutus is killed in battle. Cato will kill himself. Cicero is assassinated. And basically that generation, that Caesar's generation, Caesar's and Pompey's generation, that were trying to hold the system together, those conservatives, they're all dead. So those who survived Sulla to enter leadership that Caesar looked to work with, Caesar likes Cicero, for example. You know, nobody liked Cato the Elder, but Cato the Elder is the conservative of conservatives. He's the, let's go back to Cincinnati. Like, he's not. His heart is in the right place, but he is he is our inventor of conservatism, right? We will not change. Um, he gets crushed. He get he he will kill himself in Africa after a second defeat, after Brutus's defeat. Um Octavian is Caesar's nephew and heir. Caesar had no male children. Um his 
only daughter, Julia, was actually married to Pompey for a while. She would die in childbirth. So his heir is Octavian. Mark Anthony is Caesar's best commander. And so when Caesar is murdered, Caesar's army splits. It's the only army left. I mean, you know, Brutus will create a mercenary army and they, it will get crushed. And Pompey's army ceased to exist, so it didn't matter. Um, you know, a couple conservatives will, will hire mercenaries from around the Roman world. But the only army that really matters was Caesar's. It was the only professional force left. And it splits. It breaks in half. Why? Well, because one, people went, well, Caesar is the is, Octavian is Caesar's heir. So every promise Caesar made, Octavian will abide by. But Octavian's a kid and he doesn't have any military experience. And if you're a soldier, you don't like that. You want a guy who you know you can trust, who you know how they lead, who will, you know, right, rule one, we talked about Odysseus, not get me murdered. So a lot of people went with Mark Anthony. They just said, I know I fought for, with Mark Anthony. I've been commanded by Mark Anthony. I'm going to pick him. And so the army splits. Anthony goes to Egypt. He falls in love with Cleopatra and then becomes a god. Remember, pharaohs are, are part god, and he falls in love with the idea of being a god. He gets the tattoos. He gets the whole thing, the eyeliner, the whole thing. He becomes a god, which freaks out the Republic, which freaks out Rome. Remember, Rome is the Republic. Even if it's fraying, the idea is we're all created equal, right? We're all citizens of Rome. Mark Anthony isn't a citizen anymore. He's a god. And they're all worried, as the conservatives are worried, as well as the liberals, that he will come back and try to be a god of Rome. Now remember, Rome hates kings. You could imagine what it feels like for a man to pro proclaim himself a god. So they turn, to, they turn to Octavian and say, Octavian, save us from Mark Anthony. Octavian says, of course I will. You know, he's a 20-something-year-old kid. And um, he leads an army into Egypt, into Greece. And they have a um, land and naval-based battle. Basically, um, uh, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra's army goes to Greece because Greece is, again, where the money is. And the idea is you go to Greece first, and then you could, like Pyrrhus, invade southern Italy. But you need a navy to do so. And so what, what um, Octavian does is counter-invade Greece, sends an army to Greece to bottle up, that, bottle up Mark Anthony's army and then fight a naval battle. And that's the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, BCE. And it is a decisive Octavian victory. He crushes Mark Anthony's fleet, which means now his army has no supplies. This is like the old Persians after Salamis. His army is now stuck in Greece. It has no supplies. Um, it will starve. And before it will starve, it will surrender. Because Octavian wants to defeat Mark Anthony. He doesn't need to kill all of Mark Anthony's troops, who are perfectly fine working with Octavian. They, they were loyal to Caesar. So if Octavian goes, look, I understand why you were fighting with Mark Anthony. Come to me. I forgive you. I'll give you some money. Everything bygones. Boat drinks. 
Those guys will be like, they throw down their swords, they are perfectly happy. Right? They are perfectly happy joining Octavian's army. Right? So what happens? Anthony commits suicide. He writes to Cleopatra, we could be together, we could run away, we could do... And she's like, yeah, that's not going to happen, I'm going to commit suicide. And he's like, oh no... Because without her, without her money, without her legitimacy, he's got nothing. And he's got Octavian's hit squads coming after him. So what he does is take the honorable no Roman way out with a sword, commits suicide. Cleopatra, now that Mark Anthony is out of the way, she hears, oh, Anthony's dead. And she goes, oh, that's so sad. Uh, hello, Octavian. I hear you're not married. So can I tell you about your uncle? He was wonderful. Uh, why don't you come to Alexandria? I will show you Alexander the Great's body. We'll take a tour on the canal. The Pharos Lighthouse will do cool... We'll put up special colors just for you. Hey, big boy. How, do you, how would you like to be a god? She tries to seduce Octavian. And fails. Because there's nothing. Octavian is bloodless. There is a quote, and it is a great quote in Game of Thrones when um, King's Landing is laid siege to by Stannis, the brother of the dead king. And Cersei, and the people are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Cersei, what are you going to do? You're the mother of the king. What are you going to do? And she's like, well, in the old days, if it was any other man, I would go out there wearing a silk nothing and seduce him promise him stuff but this is Stannis there's more blood in a stone than in Stannis I'd be more likely to seduce his horse than Stannis and that's Anthony that's Octavian Mark Anthony was blo hot-blooded passionate he, he, he was easy to seduce his he fell right in Cleopatra tries it with Octavian gets nothing there's just nothing there Octavian's best relationship with a woman was with his sister. That's who Octavian was. I'm not saying it was a sexual relationship. There are anti-Octavian things that say he was a little too close to his sister. But the idea was he trusted his sister above all other women. He was not a big, passionate guy. And so Cleopatra tries to seduce Octavian. Octavian says, no, I will take your country. I'm going to take your kingdom. And then I'm going to kill you for having fought against me. And so she commits suicide. As Octavian is entering, as entering Alexandria, she's fleeing up the Nile. And so she commits suicide. So Octavian is the last man standing. The Senate is terrified of death. Will it be like Sulla? Will we get murdered? They're also terrified of poverty. Of, of Octavian with his army taking all of their stuff and so they they will they promise Octavian anything they're like Octavian you have saved us from the god king Mark Anthony thank you thank you thank you have everything have whatever you want and what Octavian creates with the last army standing the conservatives defeated with the senate all that senate is remaining being cowed and terrified is the Roman Empire, the Emperor Octavian's Roman Empire. He is the one man to rule it all. The Senate still exists, but it doesn't matter. There's only one army, and it's Octavian's. 
The Constitution has broken down. The Republic is over. And it has died in blood and in fire. And what, after a hundred years of civil war, there was one person left standing. And the Senate turns to him and says, you have all the power. You do whatever you want. Just leave us alone. Don't hurt us anymore. And that's the birth of the Roman Empire. In our next episode, we're going to deal with Octavian's reforms, how he tries to fix Rome. And we'll do the Roman Empire. Good luck. Thank you. Be safe.